three minutes notice. And not only that, but this was Callie's first time being up here on a Sunday. Awesome. Love you guys. Thank you for serving in your gifting. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron, this is, this is a big day, bleeding for the first time too, man. Um, and then the video don't work. So here's, I'm going to give you a brief, I'm just going to give you a brief summation of, of what that video is talking about. Membership matters to us here at Ridgedale, and we're, we'll try that again at, at some point during the next couple of weeks. But we want to invite you on February 6th, if you're not a member here at Ridgedale, to consider joining us for that. It will be at 10 a.m., so during the Sunday school hour, all the way through service. So that is where you will worship that Sunday Pastor Ryan, you'll get to meet all the pastors and hear about the vision and mission of Ridgedale and what it means, what our pastors and, and our staff and our church family commits to you and what we anticipate and expect out of you in church membership. Because this is a, a covenant bond in which you and, and us commit to being together and serving one another and loving one another. And so that's February 6th, two weeks from, from today. And so if you're interested, by coming to that class, you you do not have to become a member, but if you're interested in doing it, then please uh, feel free to sign up online. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And we're continuing in our series through the book of Romans, and, and we've gotten to the point where we're looking at the, the topic of living like Christ, living the transformed life in Jesus Christ and what that begins to look like. Paul talked about last week, he, he mentions that, that you and I are no longer to be conformed to the patterns of, of this world, the, the ideologies and thought processes and the reactions of this world, but, but through Christ's transformation that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that our minds and our bodies can be renewed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, as, as we look at how we are to give ourselves to God, we give ourselves to right or sober judgment, and then we give ourselves to the church, the natural outworking of that is what are, are these relationships to look like? So Paul is, is going to show us how the transformed life kind of seeps down into our relationships, how we are to love one another. As I prepared for this sermon, I came across this story from 2019, and there was a young Muslim man by the name of Arash. And the story of Arash is, goes like this. He was actually a, a, essentially a drug lord in his community. He and he had a, a band of brothers that they would pillage and essentially take anything and everything that they wanted from this community, virtually destroying it. But by God's providence, he began to have a communication online with a young man named Ali. And Ali began to share the, the, transform, the transformation that he had experienced in Jesus Christ and expressing to, to Arash that he himself needed to experience Jesus as, as Savior and Lord. And piqued by this, Arash, essentially for all of his life, getting exactly what he wanted and demanded because he would just go take it, demanded that he have a New Testament. And so as Arash began to read the New Testament, he, he believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord. And in 
coming to do so, Ali began to disciple him and work through the New Testament with him. And as, as Arash began to read the New Testament as a believer in Jesus, he began to realize that his life could no longer be the same. He couldn't pillage and destroy property. He couldn't kick people out of the village and out of their own houses because he felt like it and wanted to take what was theirs. And so he, he retired and withdrew from the gang in which he led. And then a few years later, as the Lord continued to lay on his heart, he read Luke chapter 19, which is the story of Zacchaeus, in which Zacchaeus sees Jesus as a, as a corrupt tax collector, sees him from the tree and, and pursues Jesus as Jesus walked by. And Jesus called him to repent and to restore what he had done. And so he, he saw this story of Zacchaeus giving back fourfold to what he had done. And there were five families specifically that, that were wealthy in that area that he had just taken their house from them and left them and sent them packing without gathering so much as a thing. And he endlessly searched for these five families, seeing and knowing what it meant for Christ to be in his life and what true repentance and reform was, was that he had to restore what he had wronged. And so he sought out these five families and finally found them and restored them back even beyond what he had taken from them out of a transformed heart and a transformed life. Jesus's love and transformation in our hearts isn't just a transformation for eternity. Jesus's transformation is both for our life now, inside and out. Jesus's love doesn't allow us to stand pat where we are, but it consistently transforms us and renews us. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, and, and we'll see what, what this is talking about, what Paul is talking about here. And when you get there, say word. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What we're seeing, and, and we'll read 14 through 21 in just a moment, but in all of this section, Paul is showing us what the transformation of Jesus Christ does in our hearts and should do through our lives. This is, if you want to essentially title this, it's the Christ life. This is the life that Christ himself lived. Any and every one of these commands that we see here in verses 9 through 21, we see in the Gospels Jesus himself modeling and doing these for us. And, and doing it on our behalf even. And so this life, 9 through 21, is about what it means to live like Jesus, to live the transformed life. So if you catch anything else this morning, this is, this is what I want you to catch. That a transformed life leads to a transformed love. A transformed life leads directly to a transformed love. 
This is the Christ life. And the first way in verses 9 through 13 that we see this is the transformed life leads to a transformed love for other believers. Specifically, that's what we see first in 9 through 13 is that this transformed life or heart leads us to a transformed love with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, in this room, yes, in this church, but even those in our city and around the world, it leads to a transformed love. So Paul is making clear and makes clear throughout his letters that love is the highest virtue. He, we had just talked about last week, spiritual gifts. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, none of it matters if you don't have love. Because you're missing out on what Christ truly has for you. And what Christ has truly given to you. A transformed life leads to a transformed love for other believers. Now I want you to know, this isn't a chore list. I don't want you to see all of these lists of commands and be like, okay, I'll do this, do this one today, I'll do this one tomorrow. That's, that's not what this is calling us to. This is calling us to show us that we must lean into Christ, that he may transform our hearts so that this would become our life, that this would be the measure or outworking of our heart. And there's six key characteristics of our love that I think Paul is calling us to consider as we look here and then also I want you to think about how these characteristics point us and show us Jesus. And the first one is this. I want us to consider, as we love other believers, consider your love's authenticity. Consider your love's authenticity. Paul it, it calls us to this in verse 9. Look with me back in verse 9. He says, let love be what? Genuine. Or sincere. Let love be genuine or sincere. Now this is easy. It sounds easy enough, right? But I count no less than two times this week that I like. I had what I like to call is resume love. Resume love is just like on a resume. You build yourself up to make yourself look good. Right, You frame things in just the right way. If you're a janitor, then you are essentially a mechanical engineer or something like that. Right? We, we, we build ourselves up and puff ourselves up because it's really about us. That's what resume, a resume is. That's what resume love is about. When our love is something other than about the person that we're serving or loving, then it ceases to be genuine. Our love can't be about us. And twice this week, the Lord convicted me about this. Essentially, Paul's saying, don't, don't let your love be a tofu, tofu burger. When, when it, it's meant to be the, the real thing. It's meant to be the real thing. This is agape love. In the language of the New Testament, there are different words that, that we see as love. This love that Christ has shown us is called a, a selfless love. It's a divine love. It's the love in which Jesus has shown us by coming to earth and dying for us and pursuing us even though we were enemies. This is the love that we are to have with one another. Consider the authenticity of your love. A transformed love is a genuine love. But then we're also to consider our love's morality. Consider our love's morality. Look with me at the end of verse 9. He says, let your love be genuine and then also abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast 
to what is good. We ought to consider our love's morality. And here's what I, I mean by that. Paul essentially says that hate what is evil in this world and amongst you and, and love what or honor, puff, build up what is good. Beloved, you and I love no one well by celebrating sin or evil. In the body of believers, we love no one well when we see people in sin and choose not to, to just turn a blind eye or to believe what the world says about certain things in our lives. Think, think about it in this way. This is important in our marriages. In, in marriage, there are times when you have difficulty. Consider what people are feeding into that in those moments. Consider what you're encouraging people to do. Is it what Christ encouraged people to do? Or is it what our world says is easy? This is important in who we date. The world will say, yeah, it's fine for you to date an unbeliever. And the scripture says, no, you must be equally yoked. As, as a believer in Christ, for your other believers in here, it does, it does them no good. You're not loving people genuinely by celebrating or allowing what is evil in their life. And then he says, even in our sexuality today, it is prominent that not just that you love those who struggle with homosexuality and have that identity and choose that identity, but also that we must celebrate with them. Now, we ought to love them sacrificially and love them in our family, but celebrating the idea of it and that identity is not helpful to anyone. It's misleading. We must let our love have the morality of Jesus. Jesus loved those that he, he loved graciously, but he also called people out of their sin. Now, you don't badger them, beat them over the head or anything like that, but you love them through that, and, and you say, this, this is what I believe the, the, the scriptures say about this in a loving and kind way that doesn't segregate any population our love ought to encourage what is good and also to not permit what is bad or evil even if the world says it's okay this is what our, our love ought to be like that this is a model of what Jesus did he also said that Paul says that we should consider our love's warmth look with me at verse 10 he said, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, what is faithful, what is true. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. So this idea of love is different from the selfless divine love that we saw in verse 9. This is essentially where we get the idea, the, the city name of Philadelphia. This is a brotherly love, a brotherly affection. So we ought to consider our love's uh, morality, but also consider our love's warmth. The person that I know most in, in this room that exudes the warmth in which I think this text says is Anthony. How many of you in here have had a hug from Anthony? Yeah, like almost all of you, unless you're like essentially brand spanking new in here, have had a hug from Anthony. Why? Because Anthony, I'm not trying to embarrass you or puff you up or anything, buddy, but you, 
I love you, man. I love you and you love so well. This should be a place when we come because of our zeal and love for one another, our warmth in here. This is a place that we shouldn't ought to want to leave just to get to Cracker Barrel a few minutes early or something like that, right? This is a, this is a place that, that we should feel the, the sweet embrace of family as we come together. What do we have to do to continue to build that? I, I, there is a sweet spirit in this room every time we come in. I, I love this church, and I, you guys have been incredible to, to our family and, and have been incredible to new people. And, and I just I love you and want to commend you to that. But our fellowship should feel like home. Just as brothers and sisters in Christ, or brothers and sisters feel at home with, with their family, we should feel at home when we're here. Now, part of that is part of feeling at home. If you don't feel at home, then you have to begin to think, okay, am I, am I here? Am I willing to, to connect with people after? Am I willing to invite people to lunch? Consider our love's warmth. He calls us as an Acts 2 model to do things together, to go to ball games together. Yes, to worship together, to, they, to pray together, to eat together. This is what it means to love one another with brotherly affection, to be family. Consider your love's warmth. But then he calls us to consider our love's fervency. Look with me at verse 11. Verse 11. Consider our love's fervency. Do not be slothful in zeal, or don't be slow. Don't be lazy in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Basically, Paul is saying that in serving and loving one another, we are serving Jesus himself. So we ought to consider our fervency. Have we grown, have we grown cold? As, have, have we allowed the, the car to kind of turn off? You know how sometimes when it's cold outside, you've got it good and toasty in there, but you turn it off for about five, seven minutes, it starts to get a little chill back in there? It, it, do we need to turn the engine back on? Consider your love's fervency. Are we, uh, he challenges our want to here. He's like, are, are we really, are, do we really pursue and care for one another now, this is difficult, but I want to encourage you. Only someone who has truly given themselves fully to God can experience this. Notice and remember how Jesus pursued people, how he's pursued us. He fervently has come, and his spirit fervently prays for us, even as we don't know what words to utter. The fervency of the Lord is is in hot pursuit after us and what are, it is in our best interest. May that be the same with us. And we're going to fall short. We're going to fall short of this. We're going to not outdo one another in honor. We're going to say, we're going to gossip at times. We're, we're going to say mean things, hurt somebody in, in some reason. But the way that we love one another through this is that we are fervent and that we are quick to apologize and quick to restore. We're quick to own up to our part of the deal, Right? This is how we love one another. Have, has our love grown cold? And then he, he calls us in verse 12 to consider our love's character. What is, what is the fruit of our love? Look with me at verse 12. It says, don't be slothful and zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do it. Do it to the best of your ability is the way that I feel like Paul's emphasizing this. And as you serve others, you're serving Jesus. And then he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is what I mean, consider our love's character. Paul hits at the very center, the integrity of our love here, meaning what do we do for our brothers and sisters and ourselves when the tough really gets going, when it gets really difficult in our lives and in our brothers and sisters' lives, what do we do? Where's the place that we run to? Do we run away? Do we run to to try to fix it ourselves? Paul says do three things. Rejoice in hope. Sing, be happy, be thankful for what Jesus has done and the hope that we have eternally in him. We do good for one another when we remind each other that this life is not all there is. That we are waiting expectantly for Jesus to come and take us as his bride. We rejoice in hope. We, we, uh, and then it says to be patient in tribulation. We must be encouraging to one another to patiently wait and not just to seek to remove difficulty in our lives, but to be patient knowing that it is by God's will and providence that that's there. Nothing is slipping through God's fingers. So we must be patient and encourage one another to be patient. This is where Job's friends really messed up if you've ever read the story of Job. Instead of saying, be patient, love, and continue to be faithful in what you're doing, what do they tell him? Well, it's because you're sinful, you dummy. You've been doing this, and God's punishing you. This, is, this was their only categories for why suffering would happen. Instead, they ought to have been encouraging to be patient and love him, be present with them. This is how we love other, one another as believers well. And then be praying we're to be a praying people, praying with and for one another. So what does our love lead to? Does it lead to encouragement, to rejoicing, and to prayer? Or does it lead somewhere else? Consider the character of our love. And then finally, Paul calls us, amongst other believers, to consider our love's generosity. Consider our love's generosity. Look with me at verse 13. Paul says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul calls us to look after one another, seeing and meeting each other's needs. Just this week, uh, by the grace of God, the, the Spirit prompted someone to, to donate a car, and it met someone else's need directly to the point that it was an incredible just providence of God that this person needed transportation contribute when we know each other's needs and we can meet them if we have the opportunity we should be able to to meet them in practical and generous ways this was especially important in the first century you want to know why because Christians were put out of their homes they were put out of their jobs they were put out of their cities and so to be hospitable was to invite someone into your household and into your family. To be generous to one another is to love one another in very practical ways. This is what he's calling us to. Jesus didn't just, you know, sit in heaven and be like, that's, that's pretty good. You know, y'all, I'm going to send some help. No, Jesus came and met. He fed people. He learned their needs. He healed the sick. He was close in close proximity. Are you sensitive and knowledgeable of the needs of your small group or the people in here or the people even in there? 
I don't want this to be a chore list. I want you to see Jesus and how Jesus has perfectly done all of these. And when we look at Jesus and ask him to transform us, these characteristics will be the things that come up. And I say consider these things because there are things in our lives that we sometimes need to check the check engine lights on. And this can help us identify what, that, what the diagnostics are really saying. Consider these six characteristics in the life of believers. But then secondly, and the second big thing in verses 14 through 21 is this. That the transformed life leads to a transformed love for the world. For believers... And then for the entire world. Look with me at verse 14. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. That ought to sound similar because Jesus pretty much said those exact words. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we love the world? There's four ways that we overcome. That we overcome the spirit of the world. That we overcome Satan. That that we overcome evil with love. And the first one that Paul directs us to is that we overcome persecution with blessing. We overcome persecution with blessing. He tells us that in verse 14. He says, do not repay, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. We overcome persecution with blessing. Now, here's the reason Paul has to tell us all of these things. How many of you, that is your actual natural reaction? If, if you, <laughs> I like to think of it like this. If you were thrown into a, cold, a freezing cold lake... What's your first reaction as soon as you go under the water? It's to gasp, isn't it? It's to go, (gasps) and they tell you, like, if you're ever about to go into cold water, I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but if you're ever going to do that, they say the thing you have to prevent most is from you gasping and breathing in a ton of water that fills your lungs that will eventually drown you. He said, you have to control your reaction. Paul is telling us all of these things in 14 through 21 because they're completely countercultural and completely not natural to us. Our natural reaction when someone comes against us is to snap back to them, right? If someone posts something on Instagram that's coming at you or, or subtweets you or something like that, what do you want to do? You wanna, you, you, I know I'm dating myself because no one tweets anymore, but you want to you go right back at them, right? Somebody, somebody tells something about you that's not true, feeds people lies, what do you want to do? You either want to punch them in the face or you want, to go, <laughs> you want to go around them and start doing the same thing to them. Our natural reaction when people come against us is to not bless them but to, to, to take the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth, right? 
Paul says that a transformed love by the grace of God, and again, we're, we're going to fail at this. We must as Christians be the first to repent and apologize. But we see all of these things modeled by Jesus, particularly in his love for us and pursuit of us. We were the ones that persecuted him and were saying, crucify him, crucify him. But what did Jesus do? He, said, he did not say a word and he blessed them, blessed them with his blood. He prayed to God the Father that, that they would be forgiven, that they didn't know what they did. He says, bless those who persecute you, those who come against us. We overcome this world by blessing. Look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph had a lot go against him, but you know what he never did? He never came back and tried to hurt his brothers. And by God's grace, he, he, he even did good stuff for Potiphar, even though his crazy wife was after him, right? He always did good to him. We see this with Stephen as people were stoning him. Saul was sitting there approving it, you know, just laying his coats. Everybody was throwing their coats at him. He was, Paul was a glorified coat rack as Stephen was getting stoned to death. What does Stephen do? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And God blessed him with his presence. God is all over us when we overcome persecution with blessing. Is there someone in your life that is coming against you that you need to find a practical, loving way to bless? We overcome persecution with blessing. He also says that we overcome absence with presence. This may be the most radical one in this area. Overcoming Absence with presence. Look with me at verse 15. Rejoice with those who weep. Weep or rejoice with those who rejoice, excuse me. And please don't laugh and celebrate with somebody that's weeping. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who weep. We overcome absence with our presence. He says that we are to be people that are with people, that were present. Notice that Jesus didn't stay far away from the messy stuff. He didn't stay away from the wedding at Cana. He went and celebrated, didn't he? Notice that he didn't stay away from Mary and, and uh, Martha when they were mourning their brother's death. He wept with them. Jesus weeps with us even today. He, he loves us even today with us through his Holy Spirit and at the right hand of God. Jesus is, is with us, and he calls us to be people that are countercultural, that know people well enough that we weep with them and that we celebrate with them, that we're at birthday parties together. Happy birthday, Chris Covington, 50 years old, big dog. Let's go, big boy, and Sierra Frakes. Happy birthday. We, we, and then we weep with people that, that weep. We celebrate with people that are celebrating. This is the way that, that we love in a in a very different way. I see st staggering statistics of loneliness. There's an epidemic among men. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among men. Why? Because they're hopeless. They lack friendship. They lack meaningful connection. Teenagers in here, you tend to find, you want connection so much, but we tend to try to find it through me social media. That's not real connection. It leaves you longing and, and wanting more. One of the greatest ways that we love people during their ups and downs is being with them. 
That's radically different than our society, which is a sending flowers kind of a society. It's a, it's a text message or, you know, a, a sending birthday card. Lauren and I chose to have our, our wedding right after Christmas because we knew people wouldn't come, but they would still send gifts. Right? And so because of that, like, we're a sending gift but not come to the wedding kind of society. Go to the wedding. This is how we overcome our, the restlessness of this world. And it is, it is actually an apologetic that brings people to faith in Jesus. So we overcome absence with present. We overcome division with peace. Look with me at verses 16 and 18 as we wrap up. I promise you I'm not going to take too much longer. Live in harmony with one another. How countercultural is that? Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Then verse 18, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, I want you to underline that. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We overcome division with peace. Paul says that you and I are ministers of reconciliation, meaning that we are now people that bring two friends that were quarreling back together. You and I are to be peacemakers. We're to be reconcilers. That means in, in our preferences, like music, in, or especially in church or dress preference, that we don't make big deals out of those, that we don't hold too tightly. In this world, this world is divided along racial lines, socioeconomic, educational lines, political lines, certainly. But Christ has called us not to play into those games, but to be reconcilers. He says, so far as it depends on us. That means you and I as believers in Jesus are called to be the first responders, to be the one that go and seek peace first. Meaning even if we were the one that were wronged, we must check and consider what part we played in any type of division in the body or in your family or amongst your coworkers, and we must be the ones that seek peace first. We must do and exhaust every option that we have to seek peace before Scripture allows us to say, you're good. As far as it depends on you, meaning that you have to be self-aware enough, church, to know when you've screwed up. Whether it's an attitude, whether it's in tone, whether it's an action, we must be sensitive and self-aware people. Essentially, he's saying that we even have to love the Tobys in our life. We have to love the Newmans in our life. And we have to try to seek peace with them rather than to go around them. Overcome division with peace. And then he says at the end of verse 16 that we overcome pride with humility. We associate with the lowly. We're not just people that divide by class in the body of Christ, but we are people that it doesn't matter whether you're a senator in here or a homeless person. You ought to be greeted and loved with the same affection and warmth because you matter that the same in Jesus' eyes. And then finally, the final thing, and maybe the most counterintuitive thing he says, is overcome evil with good. How do we do this? Two things. We trust God and we bless them. Trust God and bless them. Paul says this 
and verses 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Essentially, you may be in here and thinking, there's somebody that I'm really bitter about right now, and I totally want to get back at them. I want to send that email. I, I want to blow up. I, I want to wreck them, right? I want them to be hurt as much as I am hurt. I want them to feel betrayed as much as I am betrayed, whether it's family or whatever. Paul tells you, because Jesus has shown this, as he has loved us even as we were enemies, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. J.D. Greer says, always leave room for the wrath of God. Always leave room for the wrath of God. For he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. There comes a time when everyone will essentially get what God's coming to him, or Jesus has gotten what's coming to him. And that's what we really want, because that means they've been transformed too. If you're, and then bless them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do good rather than responding in kind. That's all Paul says. Trust what God is doing and then bless them. If someone's coming at you verbally, then pray for them. And tell them that you care about them. Ask them what's going on. Bless them. If, somebody, if a dog is barking in your neighbor's yard and you just want to shoot the dog, instead of shooting the dog, uh, you know, maybe find a way to, to, to go and walk with the dog unless you're Ryan and then the dog will bite you. And, <laughs> and uh, so this is, this is kind of the things that we must be thinking about. Overcome evil with good. We're overcomers in Christ. His kingdom is better. Let's pray. God, I thank you for texts like this that show us the true heart of Christ and the true life of Christ on intricate levels. Help us to see how you've been good to us, even as your enemies, Lord, by dying for us, that we may have life for eternity. And so I pray, Father, if there's someone in here today that doesn't know, excuse me, the message of the gospel, that they would know that they have a Savior, the Son of God, Jesus who has come and died for them to pay for their punishment, to, to take on the wrath of God that was meant for them so that justice may be paid, that either we will pay for our injustice or we allow Jesus to pay for it for us on the cross. And so I pray, Father, that they would trust and turn their lives to Christ for transformation and hope, for eternal life. I pray, Father, that as we as believers would model the Christ life. Help us to measure what we're overcoming and what we're diving into. God, help us to measure the, the character of our, of our love, the fervency of our love. Not to be condemned, Lord, but that, that we may make some adjustments that we can see who you are, Jesus, and be transformed by it. May we have a transformed life that leads to a transformed love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.